0: When I was diagnosed, I chose not to have a voice. I chose not to speak up and talk about it. And I found that being silent worked for me, but being silent didn't help other people that were on my journey. I thought I was a strong person, and I am, but if it had not been for my diagnosis, I wouldn't have been this person.
1: Welcome to another episode of Advocates in Action, a podcast created by the National Patient Advocate Foundation, a nonprofit that develops initiatives promoting equitable access to affordable quality health care through policy, action and partnerships. I'm your host Ashley Freeman and welcome to season 8 where we get the opportunity to share with you about the journey we've been on this year for shared decision making at critical points and a long illness journey a project of Patient Advocate Foundation and National Patient Advocate Foundation made possible in part by support from the Danaher Foundation. Hello, Vanessa. Thank you so much for being here with us today. I know you are one of the people that I had the honor of meeting with when we were in Richmond for our workshop. Share with our listeners a little bit of your journey and story and background and what led you to the Richmond workshop with VCU Massey that day.
0: Hello, my name is Vanessa Spurlock and I am a breast cancer survivor. I am 55. I was diagnosed September the 25th, 2017 with ERPR positive, HER2 negative, grade one, stage two, breast cancer. And I like to sing. I love my family. I love my job. And I think life is absolutely amazing. And I I like good energy. Amy Lacey, who's with the Massey Comprehensive Center, she had reached out to me and let me know that they were having the partnership with Massey and NPAF at Lewis Ginter. And she was like, I think this is going to be something you're going to want to be a part of. And she was exactly right because I was so overwhelmed with joy and the people and all that was said that day. And I knew at that moment that. Even though I didn't share my diagnosis initially with a lot of people, my transparency now is, again, not just advocating for me or speaking on me, but also seeing what I can do to help
1: others. And it was such an honor to have you a part of the conversation and a part of the room. I know you mentioned that was over five years ago when you received your diagnosis. So walk us through what that initial moment was like.
0: It was all a new experience for me about maybe 10 15 years ago um, my mom had like some breast p- pain and she went to the doctor and she did not have cancer. They said that she had something that could form cancer cells. She did have to take tamoxidin for seven years as a preventative, but it's been years now and she's absolutely fine. When I was diagnosed, I, as we say in my terms, I'm a thick girl, so I've never been a thin girl. <laughs> but I went on this health kick. You know, I was working at the Y and going to the gym and, you know, eating better, running eight miles and so on the treadmill. And when I go in for my mammogram in September, it was like anything else. It was normal until I got the call that following Monday, like September the 18th or 19th, And they were like, did did your doctor tell you that we wanted you to come in for a follow up? And I was like, no, but I didn't find it odd because I've been told that I had dense breast tissue. And so when she was like, okay, we'll schedule you to come in. So I went in that Wednesday for an ultrasound. And when the doctor looked at the screen, I could almost read his face. And I was like, so what do you see? He was like, well, I'm not sure we're going to have to do a biopsy so that we can, you know. And I was like, yeah. but if you were a betting man, like what would you tell your mom and your sister if you were looking at this screen? Mm. And he was like, I'd tell him that it looks like a tumor. So I went back in for the biopsy and then I got the call at three o'clock on September the 25th, 2017. You had breast cancer. And I was floored because I just felt like I was the healthiest that I had been in years. And now it's like what I thought I was doing good for my body. Mm-hmm. I have this thing that's now in my body. So mm-hmm. it was, yes, it was a whole new experience. And I've known people with cancer But just like anything else, you're not affected until you're affected.
1: Mm -hmm. I love that question of you asking the doctor, if you were a betting man and you had a family member sitting here, what would you say to them?
0: I just think that he was probably probably just as shocked as you are that I even asked him that. I literally went to the appointment by myself thinking that they'll be like, oh, Vanessa, it's nothing. Mm. And the nurse was in there with me. And I was like, can you reach my pocketbook and get my telephone? And I said, I just need to call my sister. And I was like, Gail, the doctor thinks that I have breast cancer and I'm on speakerphone. And she's like, what? She was like, tell them they need to do that again. (laughs) So the nurse at that time, she's like, what do you want me to go get her and I was like go get who and she's like your sister I was like ma'am my sister's at work she was like you came here by yourself I said that's because I didn't think that y'all were going to tell me that I had breast cancer and I literally was like okay so what now you know let's just get to this I know it now let's let's just fix this
1: and what were the decisions that followed after that diagnosis so
0: I will say that I have been blessed and thankful that I was given a team. I even tell people I didn't pick my team. My team picked me. When I was when I was called on September the 25th, I guess whoever that person is in, the technician, was like, you're probably going to have some doctors to give you a call. Dr. Misty Wilson, who's my breast surgeon, um, she'll probably be giving you a call. And normally she has a team. And he said at that very moment, he was like, but if you want a second opinion, let us know. We can send your file wherever you needed to go. I don't even think I hung that phone up. I made a call to my mom and my dad and then Dr. Wilson was on my phone calling me like within seven seven. And she was like, you know, Vanessa just received your file. What I know this is gonna sound like it's a lot. She said, But I do wanna set up some appointments. So, you know, when you get yourself together, give me a call back tomorrow and we'll go through some dates. And between September the 25th and my lumpectomy surgery date on October the 19th, I was able to meet Dr. Wilson, who's my breast surgeon. I was able to meet my medical oncologist, which is Dr. Kumar Abhishek. I was able to go in for my MRI. I was able to go in for my BRCA test. Um, that's the test to find out whether you carry the BRCA gene. And Dr. Wilson insistently stated that she likes to do whatever tests that she can before your surgery, because that will determine what your treatment may look like. So Mm -hmm. I love the fact that I was clueless, but I love that my doctor had a plan for me. Mm -hmm. And when we went to the office, she wrote on a piece of paper, what we're looking at, you can probably do a lumpectomy, radiation, we'll see if chemo, depending on what it looks like. And she said, but if we get in there and it's more than what we see, less than what we see, we might not be able to do number one and two. We gotta bypass that and now we have to do three and four. And she was like, I'm not telling you this to scare you, but she said, I just don't wanna have to operate on you no more than what I have to. So I like for people to know what their options are before we initially go in. And if you get clear margins, Applause, applause. If you don't get clear margins and I have to go back in, then maybe we can make other choices if that's the case. But she's like, I just don't like to, you know, fool with that no more than what I have to. And I love that she did that because I knew nothing. You know, Google be like, Yeah, Vanessa, you're gonna die the next day. So (laughs) I was glad that I had a doctor that actually said we can do something, we can do this. And and she too said, If you want to have a second opinion, feel free to go. It's just that if we go by my plan, this is what it looks like. And I just trusted that because she cared, that she was looking at the better interests of me. And I still feel that way today.
1: And so when you mentioned that she laid out those options for you and the different game plans and paths that you can take, to me, that truly sounds like you all partnered together on those decisions. And you were well-informed because like you said you were walking in as a blank slate but she was helping you to educate yourself along the pathway
0: Yes, very much so. My surgery was on October the 19th. That was a Thursday. And I'm feeling like she called me. I don't know why I want to say she called me on the weekend, but it might have been like that Monday or Tuesday. And she said, I just want to let you know we got clear margins. She said, right now I'm working with the team of doctors, again, Dr. Erlaneta and Dr. Abhishek. And she said, we're going to have to look at it. We don't feel like you would have to do chemo. She said, but we have to make sure that we're looking at it in reference to the tumor size, where it was located my age, just other things. And when I contacted her the next time, I found out that I did have to do 20 sessions of radiation. I did not have to do chemotherapy. And I started my radiation November the 29th and finished a day or two after Christmas. And it was like 20 days straight.
1: Wow. That was a a quick turnaround indeed. But that also speaks to quality care because we hear so many stories about People having to wait prolonged times and I was just talking to someone else about this who was also diagnosed with breast cancer and she is like the anxiety that ensues and all the time in between when there are all of those delays. Like you said, your team definitely had your, your best interests in mind.
0: They did. Between my diagnosis date and surgery, I'm like, can't you just go in and pluck it out? They was like, yeah, Vanessa, it's not that easy. But you just want it out. You just figured that once it gets out, that life goes back to what it was before. But I see that there's a process, so I had to trust the process. Because of the team that I had, if there's a way to say that you felt comfortable, It was almost like they know that I'm in a haze, but I'm just going through the motions. They were still available for questions and answers. And I remember getting my pathology report, and I didn't know what the numbers meant. When I sit down with Dr. Wilson later, she went over it, when I use the term, enough to let me know why they're deciding on my treatment. Now, of course, she was like, we can take another path if you feel like that. She said, but... You know, again, if if I were doing this for my sister, if I was doing this for my mom, this is what we would recommend. But we're not making you do that because we want you to have the choice. But again, I trust it
1: that that's what they do. That's the definition of, of true partnership, right? When you have that trust and that open communication and knowing that you all were in this t- together.
0: Amy Lacey had asked me one time if I could give a quote as to how I felt during my you know, journey and physicians and my care. And I told her, I, I knew that they had other patients, but I didn't feel like other patients, I felt like I was their only patient because everything that they did was for me.
1: And when you say you felt like their only patient, what did that look like? I'm imagining it was because you felt listened to and understood. But what were some of those small things and small actions or small words that they said that made you feel like their only patient?
0: Dr. Wilson, she prayed with me Dr. Erdaneta, as soon as you walk in the office, he gives you a hug and we need that. But then I remember going into radiation. When you go in there, we call it the tomb. You're in this room by yourself and all you hear are zzz, like mm. buzzes and curtains closing and doors closing. Mm-mm. And the first couple of days that I was in there, it was quiet. Like all I could hear was the machine. And I literally said, oh my gosh, I got 20 something days. of this, But I went in there like on the second or third day and the technician, it was during the Christmas season. And they were like, Miss Spurlock, you know, we can play some music for you. I was like, that just gave me life because I'm listening to music all day, every day. And the first song that came on was Give Love on Christmas Day by the Jackson Five. At that moment, I was like, my sessions are gonna be so much easier now because I feel like I'm at peace. Mm. It did not make it any easier to have to go, but to know that they know that they're not laying on that table, they're not listening to the machine buzz and zap around them, but they cared enough that they cared about
1: me and how I felt laying in there by myself. And it's important not to overlook those small. At all.
0: Anyone that's on this journey, ask questions. You might choose radiation, you might choose not to do radiation, you might choose to take medicine, you might choose not to take medicine, but you have to do what's going to be mentally and emotionally right for you.
1: Do you feel like you've always been a person who's been comfortable advocating for themselves, asking questions, pushing back a little bit, or do you feel like this cancer journey really brought that out of you? When
0: I was diagnosed, I didn't tell my
1: coworkers.
0: I didn't tell my church. I didn't let my community know. I actually might have told 20 people a lesson. I called them a C-Squad. Those were people that I knew that I could call and wouldn't feel sorry for me, that, but I knew that they were there. And it was just so overwhelming, almost answering questions that I myself didn't have answers to. Mm-hmm. So a while back I was um, with the survivor group and they do like a calendar girl thing. I was a calendar girl. And we it was in I was the 2020 mid September, and we could pick. We did the 20s era, and I chose to be a singer, which I do sing. But I chose to be a singer because, and they wanted to know how you equated that person to your journey and who you are. And I told them because back in the 20s, you know, African Americans they couldn't take front stage. They had to sing in back alleys. They didn't have a voice. And when I was diagnosed. I chose not to have a voice. I chose not to speak up and talk about it. But then in the process, I did a journal. I ended up writing a book. I just became more transparent. And I found that being silent worked for me, but being silent didn't help other people that were on my journey. I thought I was a strong person, and I, and I am, but if it had not been for my diagnosis, I wouldn't have been this person. So I do think that whatever was already in me, having been diagnosed, actually allowed me freedom to be me, freedom to have a voice, freedom to advocate, freedom to speak up, freedom to say, yes, that's what I want to do or no, that's not what I want to do. And also freedom that when you see somebody that won't speak up or won't ask questions of their physician, you're almost like, but why can't you ask questions? Mm -hmm. And I couldn't be that voice of telling people what they can or can't do if I didn't do it myself.
1: I know you mentioned your book and the advocacy that you do locally. Now, What are some other ways that you've been able to help people who are along their journey and help them find that voice within them as well?
0: <clears throat> so financially wise, Aflac has been amazing. Um, for anyone that may not have it, and if you haven't been diagnosed, you can still get it if you've been diagnosed. You may just have to, you know, surrender a year. It helped financially with my bills, my appointments, all of that. Um, Another resource is with the hospital financial assistance program, whereas my bill may look like $200,000, but you can apply for financial assistance. And as you and I both know, it's always the legwork that you have to do on your part. So I tell people, don't not send your information in just because you don't have time. They put those resources there for you because they want to help you. Mm -hmm. It's not shameful. It's not prideful. It's just that when you start looking at bills that are bigger than you, Mm -hmm. any assistance is going to help. So I got it, you know, quite, a few people to that. Um, I also work um, as a volunteer for the American Cancer Society, Making Strides Walk. Um, I'm one of the cheerleaders on their route. So me and my group of girls, we do that every year. I was a facilitator for a support group. I've spoken at a couple of churches, speaking with friends and family. They'll be like, this person was diagnosed. Can you talk to this? I always tell them I'm not your medical advisor, but we have those little tidbits that can help them. What inspired
1: that decision to just share with Just Your C-Squad?
0: I think when I was first diagnosed, it just caught me off guard. I'm a controller, and I had no control over that. And on the outside, I went through the motion. I literally worked every day. I only took four full days off. All those 20 days
1: of your treatment, too?
0: I worked every day. Oh, my. Wow.
1: So literally
0: from September the 25th. Up until I think I went off of FMLA into February because I did what was called intermittent FMLA, whereas if I didn't feel like coming in, too tired to come in, and then I had my radiation sessions every day. So I literally told my principal, I was like, just want to let you know I'm on FMLA, everything is okay, but you know I got some hours I need to be
1: out. He was like, okay. But you I, didn't specifically tell him it was cancer?
0: I did not. Wow. So, um, but I worked every day. I would leave every day at about, I don't know, 2, 2.30, because most of my appointments was at the same time every day. I directed three choirs at my church. I went to choir rehearsal. I did everything that I was doing. Like, nothing stopped. And I remember we came back to school in January, but it snowed. So all of the kids were out. And I called my principal in the office, and I said, just to let you know, on September the 25th, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. He was like, what? Vanessa. Here you are taking care of all of us when we should have been taking care of you. I didn't want that if I didn't show up for work, they thought I was sick. And I even told my mom and dad, I didn't want people calling them saying, Vanessa wasn't at church Sunday, is she okay? So I figured that the less people that knew, the less questions I had to answer, and the less worry that my mom and dad had to think about. I was in a relationship at the time, and I remember the guy told me, but you do know that other people have shoulders too. Mm-hmm. And I say, yeah, but I'm used to being the one that carries it. And I don't want anything that my mom and dad have to carry if I'm actually doing OK. Yeah. But when I did share that I was diagnosed at my church, I had so many people that was like, but when when you're not here? Mm-hmm. But you looked fine. And I was like, I always use an analogy, my outside was who I am, but my inside was like aluminum foil with chewing gum mixed up in it and you couldn't pull it out. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I felt like my outside is yet again, what people saw, but my inside, that wasn't who she was. Mm -hmm. So, but once I did share freedom, I felt like that was the freedom that I needed not to release me from the diagnosis but to release me from holding in everything that I wanted to say and be without people looking at me a certain way. And I remember writing in my book, I was like, God, you know, I'm real selfish when it comes to my birthday month. So you could have held back some because I was just getting out. But then I corrected myself and I was like, oh no, I want God to give me everything he has because if he didn't give me everything he has, he might've held back my healing. And I don't want him to hold that back. So I'm like, give me everything that's meant for me because you saw this long before I got here.
1: Wow. That's beautiful. I can totally relate to everything that you said about wanting to be in control, always the person that shoulders and helps for everyone. Now, as you explain that I think honestly that helped you with your own mental health and journey and like you said not having to answer the questions or feel like all the eyes were on you and it and it allowed you that time to process internally and then share with people on your own time. And I commend you for that because not everyone always feels like they have that opportunity or option.
0: I think that's what it is. At the beginning of the year, we used to do this book and it was called One Word. And you could pick a word to define who you were. And oddly enough, I picked the word choices because again, single, never married, no kids. I get to go where I wanna go, be who I wanna be, sleep late, look, leave the dishes in the sink, I, just choices. <laughs> so that was nothing but God because I didn't realize how many choices I wasn't gonna have after September the 25th. The doctor was like, I need your hand this time. We gotta do this, we can't do this. So now, any choices that I can make for me, I make every last one of them because it was at one point that I didn't have those choices. The choices were given to me. Mm-hmm. So I was like, how ironic I picked that word choices not knowing that I wouldn't have that many. Come up." Mm-hmm. I wrote in my book that cancer just happened to be my tumor. But a cancer can be anything, relationships, finances, jealousy, fix those things because there may come a point in time that you won't get to be able to just pluck out that cancer. It's going to have to be removed. And the next thing that I would tell people to advocate, support, pay attention, ask questions, write stuff down. Even if they're talking to you and you don't understand what they're saying, then call them back. That's what they're there for. They are there to tell you that if this medicine doesn't work, I might have another one. They're there to tell you that if you don't want to take the medicine at all, but just being pushed a piece of paper or pushed a pill or pushed a surgery because that's what makes it easier for their job. Yeah, we don't want to be in that place. We know that they have other patients, but right now, I need this care, so I need you to, to work with me. And don't be ashamed to ask. We don't know everything. The doctors don't know everything. They just know what they can do for this case. You know, Put your pride aside, put your shame aside, and just ask questions because this is about you, your health, and your life.
1: I'm Ashley Freeman, and thanks for listening to this episode of Advocates in Action. If you haven't yet, please subscribe, review, and share this podcast. Your support is greatly appreciated. We enjoy connecting with our listeners, so please visit our website at npaf.org slash podcast for show notes, resources, and ways to engage with us on social media. Thanks for listening.